0: Our sponsor today is GAPS. GAPS brings water remediation and soil amendments to the agricultural businesses of Ontario, Canada. Phosphorus runoff is a big deal. This company coordinates and facilitates grant-based projects that are built to test new phosphorus removal products on an ongoing basis. GAPS provides these successful R&D products in their toolbox of solutions and are sold to the producer, golf course, and municipalities. Their goal is to help build better soil and to manage water without the use of chemicals. Visit GAPS at gapsontario.com or visit their link in the show notes. Hi, and welcome to North American Egg Spotlight. I'm Chrissy Wozniak. My guest today grew up on a family farm in Germany where he fell in love with farming and pursued an ag engineering degree. His love of agriculture and travel has taken him to, con- to many continents and eventually led him to Manitoba, Canada, where his entrepreneurial spirit has proven very successful. From Bushel Plus, I would like to welcome Marcel Kringer. Welcome, Marcel, and thank you so much for being here.
1: Hey, th- thanks for having me. This this is great. Uh, thanks for getting me on your show. appreciate it.
0: No problem. First, let's talk about your background. So in the mountains of Germany, learning from three generations, you know, together on the same farm. Um, tell me a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So uh, as you can hear in my accent, I'm still, I know my English sounds a little funny. So born and raised in Germany um, on a small farm, 10 acres, five cows, couple of horses, 10 chicken and a goat. It's kind of how I describe it. Uh, in the hills slash mountains compared to Manitoba, it's mountains, I'd say we're about five, 600 meters above sea level. And the great thing was to grow up with, you know, three to like four generations in one household. We had the great grandparents around, uh, the, the, par- the grandparents, my parents, and then my sister and myself. Uh, and that was just a different appreciation of life. You were out on the farm. We were always outside as kids. And just growing up with this, I would say, older generation who survived a lot of things that our generation hopefully will never need to see. Uh, just gave you another appreciation of life or things that are taken for granted sometimes. So,
0: yeah, that's really cool. And and at one point you took a job in Canada on a three thousand acre farm. Big difference from ten acres. And so, what did you learn on that farm that was not possible for you to learn in Germany?
1: Yeah, you know, so I grew up in this on this farm, and where it's it's a lot of grasslands out there, lots of like cattle. Uh, not many full-time farmers, lots of hobby farms. So, in order to pursue more the the job of being a farmer and the ag- ag- agricultural side of things, uh, it was opportunities like that to go work on different farms where it just was an eye opener to do prop. Uh, I won't say proper grain farming. We, we did that too, but in smaller scale. Uh, but you know, then you go from to three thousand acres in southern Manitoba, where every field is like perfectly square. And, you know, you have those big tractors and, you know, the implements are all of a sudden, you know, massive. And you just started driving with a 35 horsepower tractor as a little kid and a one furrow plow. And then all of a sudden you have 500 horsepower under your butt and you're you're pulling a 18, 18 meter drill, you know, or like 40, 50 foot and 60 foot implements that it was just. That that was cool just uh, to see how other countries operate, the culture difference. I found really interesting in general when I travel and work in other places. And it was a family that moved from Germany to Canada that I was working for. Okay. And they've been there for, I think at that point, they've been there already there for, for about 30 years. I don't want to date them, but probably out there for a you know quite a bit of time. And uh, it might have been 30 years. Right? And um, just the, the pure scale of it, the different, the different nature and, and coming to Canada, building something from scratch is something that really, really intrigued me. They started with a small farm and they grew it over the years. And, and that's just something where I took a lot from or learned a lot from, I should say, because you, you're working on a farm, but you're working for an entrepreneurial family, right? Everybody's involved. Everybody has to pitch in. They have ideas. If something doesn't work, you have to fix it on the fly all these things that were where in Germany, sometimes the dealer is pretty close by depending on the area, but in Canada or the other countries that I was working in is like that that's, that's a drive. So you better figure out how to fix this in the middle of nowhere and just a vast, um, I guess, openness of the country, which is cool. So very very different from home where Um, we will build our own machinery too. my grandpa and my dad, they they can build anything. They can fix anything. It's just the the type of guys they are. Um, but then putting this onto a larger scale, which is cool to see going from 10 acres to 3000, I, I thought I've seen it all after that. So.
0: Wow. Yeah. And then, and then life led you to Russia after that on an even bigger farm. So tell me about that.
1: Yeah. So that was, uh, so after that summer in Canada, Going, I was at university at that time. I was in university already, so um, I was going for you know in Germany, it's it, it's an engineering degree. They called egg engineering, so it's a mix between agronomy, egg engineering, and or you can major in animal science as well. Uh, but back in the day when I was in there, it was an engineering degree, so to, you could you could com- compare it here to a bachelor of science. Oh, so wow. that's, that's how they called over there now. Um, they kind of. I guess adjusted all the namings around the world um so that's what i was going for and then in the summertime we have those breaks summer vacation summer breaks i guess you call them here um and i went to canada came back to university and they had this job boards there and i went back to the job board um because i was all i always worked on farms beside university like i was for working for custom crews on farms maybe i was more on the farm than in university some weeks um, but because you had to pay for it too, that's the other thing. Um, however, I read that thing and it said looking for people for a twenty thousand acre farm in in Russia to drive combine, lead harvest uh, crews, and lead uh, seeding crews in the fall. I was like twenty thousand acres. I want to go there and. I love history. So there's lots of history out there, that that area. I'm a fan of like Eastern Europe side, like kind of that, those countries. I was like, you know, I kind of want to see Russia. I want to see how that looks. And and then when I talked to the farm manager, they applied for the job. And then they were telling me they are actually planning to grow this farm to 80,000 acres within three years. So they went from zero to 80,000 acres in three years. And the first year I was there. They harvested 20,000 acres. That was their very first harvest. And that was an eye opener. And I'd say, still, some of the best times in my life. Like I was in my early 20s. You go there, I spoke five, six words of Russian. Um, nobody, shouldn't say nobody, but especially in the countryside, hardly anybody speaks English. Um, so you're there with hand and feet. So I learned Russian along the way. Uh, you know, I could talk to people, I could set up machinery. I learned all the swear words pretty quickly because that's what they thought was funny for me. And yeah. then when my swear words came out more than with the locals, then they were so happy about that. And then they kind of got the respect from them. And I showed them that I wanted to learn the language and I wanted to work with them. So I really had to show them the respect. And you can't—you cannot just come across as like, oh yeah, I'm here from Germany or I'm here from Canada. I'll show you how it works. That was never my philosophy and is it's not an will never be because you have to work with people you have to you have to be a team person especially out there when you don't speak the language um but you know you have a 20,000 acre harvest ahead of you people have never drove driven those machines and and we we're in there explaining it to them by hand and feet and translators and it was it was a lot of fun it was a lot of chaos a lot of things going on but we got the harvest in and I, I gotta say You know, the hospitality there was absolutely amazing. And you hear similar things from other people that traveled in the country, that worked there, especially on the countryside. People invite you to their houses. And if it could even be the the poorest family or the poorest house in the little town, the table will be full of food. And there is you cannot just say, Oh, I just ate or I'm full. You get stuff full of food. Like there is more food for you there. And they will take care of you. Like the hospitality is once I should say, once you get that trust, once you work with them, it was absolutely amazing. And it's, it was very genuine. It was not just, Oh yeah, just come over. It was like, yeah, no, we'll have, we'll have you over tonight and you're not leaving, right? You're coming with us. Like you, you're invited. You're our guest. It was very genuinely from the heart and you know, lots and lots of great people because at the end of the day, we're all just people. So, um,
0: yeah, and yeah, that's and yeah, so
1: they built the they built the farm, they got brand new equipment in. Mm-hmm. Um and then I turned from from that into a second season. So I kept working on that farm throughout the university from Germany, uh, stayed in touch with them, went back for a second season. Um, and then we harvested about 50, 55,000 acres that summer, that, wow. that second year. So it's and then I got the opportunity. Oh, it was just it was just mind-boggling, you know. It's like not the family farm anymore because it's it it feels industrial at times and corporate at times, just because you have so many layers of people and management. Mm. Um, But my boss was always joking. He was a German uh, guy that had a farm manager, and he was always joking like, "This is tiny. Like you haven't seen nothing yet, Marcel. You should go see my old boss." So he used to work for the largest dairy farmer in Russia, who at the time was farming half a million acres. Wow. And I hopped on a train. It was a night, they have lots of night trains there. So you have like a cabin either with 50 people in the full in the full uh, wagon there, or like four or five people in a in a cabin. So and you go like in a 12 hour night train, go to the next city, uh, hopped out there, toured the farm with another agronomist, and by accident met the founder and the owner of this whole operation.
0: Wow. Who happened
1: to be who happened to to be German as well, and um, he invited me for breakfast next morning because I, I just introduced myself, just walked up to him, hey, just want to tell you my respect and what you built here, and I mean, nice to meet you. Would you have some maybe five minutes for me for some questions? So invited me for breakfast next morning, talked about the whole farm and how he built this massive operation, and they were farming in three, four different areas in Russia, and on the very end he goes, well. What else do you want to know? I said, well, I've heard you're farming in Siberia, which is pretty much the other side of the world when you look at the size of Russia. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, I would like to know how you farm over there. Like, how is the climate there? Mm -hmm. And he goes, well, how long is your visa still good for? Well, about three weeks. He goes, well, here's my HR lady. She speaks German as well. Uh, You talk to her and then she'll get you a flight ticket here for next week, uh, a plane ticket. And then you tell me you go there for a week. You check out the farm. You tell me what you think of it. You tell me what what we can do better if you think so. And you tell me if you want to work for me. And wow. a week later,
0: yeah, uh, amazing.
1: <laughs> it was just like we can probably go on for hours just talking about these two years spent in Eastern Europe and Russia because it's just been it's just been a fantastic experience. And then I was so a week later, I was all the way in Siberia. Uh, like north of Kazakhstan, like China down there that, that way. It, Cause that's where we are in the world. All of a sudden you're like way out east. Wow. And I didn't know they could even it,
0: grow things out there.
1: It's it's amazing. And you know, a lot of a lot of good forage crops, really good corn silage, lots of rain in the southern part at least. There's other areas in Siberia where it's very, very dry, like like no till similar to Saskatchewan. Um a dr- lot drier than Saskatchewan. Mm-hmm. but similar and then southern part south of Novosibirsk, where i was was lots of rain they were even plowing just like in ontario uh plowing for corn silage and um but massive fields with different kind of like forests in there in between and nothing like manitoba like southern manitoba everything is nice and square
0: mm-hmm. oh
1: no, o- over there imagine you just you just tip over a, a pale or full of paint and the paint just runs everywhere <laughs> and wherever there's no paint there's a bunch of trees so but but on a massive scale so how they were seeding okay. sometimes is they would fill the cedar they would start and the semi would just drive behind the cedar keep going and follow the cedar around all these things because it was just it was just it was endless wow. like because you the drill couldn't come back to any headlands and even we in western russia where i was in, my main farm where i was working on there was on the right on the border to the ukraine so on the russian side but border to the ukraine so the headlands were bush and then it was the ukraine so right now where uh where they have all these things going on it's it's very sad to see for me because that's the fields where we were harvesting wow Um, but there we did our own we did our own roads because there were no like it was so massive in land that you have to look on the map and say, yeah, we'll do a road here. And this is good for the grain cart, so we should put a road here. And if we can't drive from one field to the other with the fertilizer spreader, because the fertilizer spreader will be empty by the time we get to the end, we'll have to put a road in here. Like It was just, it's just insane. Like I said, I can go on for hours, but uh, it's been a very cool experience. And we're dialing in combines out there. That was one of my main things. and. Didn't end up staying there. Um, I decided to come to Canada instead after my university. Uh, but um, it's just, it, it, it's been quite amazing. And as you can see, I'm just kind of, I, I get into it quite a bit once again.
0: Yeah, that's it's so cool. And you also, you know, went to Brazil and Australia and experienced agriculture there too. So what, you know, all of these different climates, what, what did you notice about and the differences?
1: It's it's interesting how crops can adjust. Like as you said already, you you hardly thought that you could, you could grow crops out there. But Siberia is very similar to Manitoba, and hmm. uh, they had about a hundred frost-free days in Siberia, and they were also doing swathing, where other areas of the world have never heard about swathing grain or swathing peas and canola. But they were doing lots of swath swathing out there, and to kill the crop and then combine it, but super heavy in, in moisture. And then Brazil was like the, a bit of the opposite because they can grow two crops in one year. And we were all over Brazil. Um, one of my professors asked me in university, say, hey, Marcel, would, would you be interested, uh, organize an excursion to Brazil for a bunch of people? I was like, oh, that sounds kind of cool." And a friend, another friend of mine, was in Brazil at the time. So three of us got together. We started planning an excursion for about forty people to go to Brazil. And uh, after a while, we started to realize that this is insane. Like this is a nuts uh, task to do because uh, we didn't speak Portuguese. We made some contacts in Brazil that spoke German, but it was just a, a massive task to do. And then uh, I said that to my professor after a few weeks, and he said. Yeah, for years, we're trying to find somebody who's crazy enough to do that. And we thought you could, we thought you would do it. (laughs) But nobody ever wanted to do it. I said, well, thank you. I I guess I'm in it now. So uh, my two friends and me, we ended up organizing it, took 40 people down there. And we went for three weeks through Brazil, uh, East Coast, uh, checked the harbors out where they shipped the grain, went through the country, visited lots of ag colleges and farms, and then went also into Mato Grosso in the northern area where there's this massive plains, like the, the prairies, basically. Some of the flood areas in the, uh, I think it's the largest flood area in the world up there in the Pantanal. Um, so it was, it was just a great experience. But the, back to your question, because I keep rambling about these stories. How those crops can adjust from yeah. different climates? In Brazil, they were harvesting soybeans at a time. And the planter is going right behind it, hammering in the corn. Wow. And you go to the next farm, the corn is really this high. It was only like a few days in the ground. I'm going, hey, this is good for you guys. I mean, you have rain, sun, rain, sun. It just keeps growing. Um, that
0: is amazing. I never would have thought of that.
1: <laughs> yeah. And Coming then, from
0: Canada, you don't, you you know, you have to have winter first.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, whereas, and same, same for me, growing up in Germany, whatnot, with lots of snow. And they just had to plan to go in right behind the combine. And you wow. just you just look at it and you go, like, this, this, this is cool, but it's it's very different. Um in Australia too. There's uh I was more on the western side of it. We have customers all over with push or Plus, we have customers all over Australia. Uh, but when I was there personally, I was more on the west side, which is similar to the prairies here for Canada, lots of large fields and whatnot. And and, and dry, usually dry air. Last couple of years, seven places had some really good harvest, thankfully, for some decent rain. But same thing there. The crops were just adjusting. And it's sure, it's different varieties and different genetics totally get that. But still, it's, it's wheat. And it's growing all over the world in these different areas of corn and soybeans. So you know, that's kind of fascinating for me. So if you ask me about the crops, I can talk for hours about the people. because That mm-hmm. fascinates me But.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, both plants and plants people. <laughs> how exciting. <laughs> so what made you settle in Canada then? Of all the places um, in the world you've been.
1: <laughs> yeah, so the, so uh, before I finished university, I was, I was thinking about what I'm going to do. So Germany was too boring at a time. I just have to say it how it is. Um, that was not the excitement things going on at a time um russia was a great opportunity to become a second farm manager there and help building these farms um but canada had an opportunity to 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 start in a different country and potentially build something for yourself someday and i always dreamt about farming myself or having a custom farming operation a custom farming contracting business that was always my dream and you know and and that time, it's like you know what—if you ever want to have a family, or you know, I had a um, you know German girlfriend at a time. Uh, we were going to university together, and we're like, you know what, this is instead of moving there, take the opportunity. To go, to, uh, let's go to Canada. Which, um, yeah, which I mean, I'm still here. I I never really plan on being here. Still, you know, ten years later, I'll really immigrate into it. It was kind of like, let's go for a couple of years, see how it is. Maybe I can rent some land someday, or maybe I can buy a used machine and do some contract work. But yeah, it was just the adventure doing something new and different, uh, not do the standard route. I, mean, I guess I don't like to do the, just uh, by the, way. yeah. yeah
0: it had, I it had to be that. a bit
1: more adventure, I
0: guess. For adventure. sure. Oh, that's so cool. So where did the idea of Bushel Plus come from? Explain what it is and how how you got here
1: the long story or the short story?
0: <laughs> <You got> lots <laughs> of time. I, yeah,
1: I guess I, I can drag on all my stories, even the other questions. They're going to talk another <laughs> 20 minutes for each answer. But, you know, really, as I mentioned already, it was all around the world and being involved in, in, in harvest. Mm-hmm. But it didn't matter where I went. It was it was you saw the same thing that combines were used to harvest, but the setup of them was always very, there wasn't much time spent on it to be precise on it. And, and, you know, there was always room for improvement. And even if we would do something like ourselves, for example, we would start looking on the ground, right? Trying to judge where is it coming from? Well, we have no idea. Is this rotor loss? Is it sieve loss? Is it header loss? If you're behind the machine, you know, there's a couple of tricks between header loss and machine loss. We can get into the details, but really, if you look behind on the ground, you don't really know where it's coming from. It's not accurate enough. You know, then you're running beside a machine, trying to catch a sample, trying to throw like a cookie tray underneath the machine, or some kind of some kind of tub or, tub or a pan or something. But then those machines are getting pretty big and faster these days. So running beside that, trying to throw a pan underneath is again super dangerous. We had people telling us by now at trade shows, at, at meetings, that they know people that fell beside the machine. One of my buddies actually fell. Beside a machine once, and thankfully he didn't get driven over. There's a customer in uh, in Washington Idaho area. His hired man actually lost an eye uh, trying to measure combine loss because he had a plastic tub on a long stick, and they would just run beside the combine trying to just swipe through the chaff, and then run away. And as he was running away, he tripped. The stick went into the ground. And went right into his eye, but he was wearing safety glasses, thankfully. And the farmer told us if he would have not worn safety glasses, he probably would have lost his life because the impact was so hard that he lost his eye. With oh safety my glasses. goodness, wow! So when that farmer showed up to the booth at the trade show, um he he bought it right away. Like he just he just looked at the booth, he said, "I'll take one." And like, do you want to run down? He's like, no, I, I get the concept. This, this is, this is awesome. And then like, as the kind of, you kind of we're writing him up, right, and like taking the information down, and like, just curious, like, have you heard about us before? or What? And then, well, actually, here's how, here's how it went in the past. So he told us about this. So safety is a huge aspect for us, right? And yeah. as those machines get bigger, everybody is supposed to. Everybody should come home safe at night. We all, you know, people have family and everything else. We're all human so the safety shouldn't go flying out the window just because harvest is busy that's that's the thing yeah and i know it's tricky if the combine stands there for a minute or two it feels like three hours i'm you know i'm a farmer by heart I, i know the feeling but there's some safety we can apply for it and then it was about okay safety how can we make this easier and then we were just playing with designs and prototypes and ended up playing with remotes and magnets electromagnets and it came up to a design. I'm not gonna take all the credit for the designing. You know, there's a great team of people uh, that we worked there with over the years and that took just a lot of a lot of playing around and always realizing it's not accurate enough what we're doing, it's not safe enough what we're doing, and it's not quick enough. Right. We gotta play with something that 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 is easier. But it was mostly for us. Like it wasn't really something if somebody would have told me. This is now a company where we sell to 28 different countries, and the big OEMs are using our systems. And uh, I would have probably never believed it because, well, wow, just just for us. So fast forward. Um, I, you know, I was always involved in these things. Then moving to Canada, working for a custom contracting business in Ontario again. Harvest again. Then I moved out west, uh, looking for different opportunity. Became the Cargill agronomist. Um, in southern Manitoba. And, you know, I didn't take holidays at harvest because I love harvest. So I just was running around to my agronomy customers and used this, use my prototypes, my drop pen systems. So, and then used the drop pen system with one of all the customers and um, figured out his combine losses, calibrated his loss monitors so he could trust the displays in the cab so he could finally, make, you know, drive the machine properly. And um he had a bunch of wheat to cut um, and he had some fusarium in there. So we set the machine to blow the fusarium out. Uh, so he actually sold it for a higher grade uh, at the elevator. Um, you know, there's so many add-on benefits on this thing. If you use it properly, you just have the time to use it. Um, and then that, that, that uh, farmer got back to me a week later and he goes, you know how much money you saved us roughly last week? It's so about about sixty to $70,000 Canadian wow. saved us just by,
0: wow, just
1: by using the tool. So now, you know, a farmer buys a tool from us between two and $3,000 and a bit of change. Um, you know, if you put that even as a per acre investment, we look at fertilizer crop inputs at a per acre investment. Somebody buys that. It's a, it's a dollar, a couple dollars per acre investment, depending on your farm size. Over five years. We're talking peanuts per acre Yeah, to set up a machine that costs you half a million to over a million dollars to properly harvest the grain that you worked so hard for to grow all spring.
0: Right. Yeah. And then to lose it right at the end.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But you know, it, it, even, you know, even if you look on the ground, even if you do something, we had comparisons where people came back to us and said, you know what? I realized since I have this system, it's a lot more precise. It's a lot quicker what I was doing. And uh, I don't want to think about what I did the last 15 years because it doesn't look bad on the ground. Or, you know, even if you throw a square foot thing or a little pan, um, it lands in different places all the time. It's not as accurate. Mm-hmm. Where I was always measures in the same place, um, there's just lots of things to it that make it more precise. So then that farmer told me, like, you should you should get to build a few of these things. And then more and more farmers were interested. And then I was, you know, I was scared. I was scared shitless because I was like, well, how do, <laughs> how do I pay for, taught my friendship, but how, how do I pay for, you know, 12 of these things, metal, paint, parts, all this kind of stuff. And how do I make it so it's actually, you can actually give it to somebody else and feel good about it. Because if mm-hmm. it's just your own, well, it can look a certain way, right? Or it doesn't need a sticker on it, or it doesn't need a box you don't have to ship it so you have to think about all these things because and then i like i came to canada with a bag full of clothes that, that's all i had i just wanted to work
0: so mm-hmm. now
1: sitting there going well how do i pay for this so it was a great manufacturing company that that said you know what we'll we'll get you going we'll we'll help you just do a bit of a, a down payment and then we'll we'll float the metal and we'll see how that goes amazing and And then farmers kept talking to me. And the amazing thing about that is um, the other day, somebody told me that's crowdfunding, which back in the day, I don't think that term even existed back then. But what what was happening is I told the farmer about it and I said, I want one. Here's a check in full. The product wasn't even built yet. Well, here's the e-trend. Here's the e-trend. And I said, well, it's not built yet. A couple of weeks, we have it ready. Yeah, don't worry. Just ship it when when you got it ready and we're not harvesting it anyways. We're spraying or we're, we're seeding. And so they basically, I used that money to buy more parts to fund it all, and they got it in time. And some maybe had a lead time without within harvest the first year for a couple of weeks, but they were all patiently waiting. And you know, kudos to everybody that trusted me there. That's what I keep saying like, the company is not about Marcel, it's not about me. My face doesn't need to be out there, it's about bushel plus and bushel plus helping farmers being more efficient. Because the farmers have built this company, you know, if they would not trust me with a down payment at trade shows in the fall or in the spring to deliver them a product in the summer, this company would have never been started because that's how that's how I cash flowed.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And and so how how does how does it actually attach to the combine? How do you install it?
1: Yeah, so. It's a when you when you go on our website or when you look at our, our pictures, you will see a silver, you will see a silver square piece. We call this the carrier slash cover. So it has two permanent magnets on the top. And um, inside of that is a receiver, a rechargeable battery, and underneath there is what's we call permanent electromagnets. And inside of this silver carrier sits a red drop pen in there. So the important thing about this um this sorry. I should answer your question first before I start rattling the other story off. Two permanent magnets on the top. So all you have to do, you take this carrier with the red drop pen inside, take it in your hand, walk up to the machine, and all you do, you put it on the back of the axle, underneath the axle, I mean, or underneath the feeder house, or on the side of the header, and you just oh. have to have to clip it against the metal. So two seconds. So it's there's no wires okay. to run, no brackets. So it's as long as it takes you to walk to the machine, that's how long it takes you to put it on. Wow. So,
0: that's super that's fast. easier than I thought.
1: <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's the whole philosophy of this whole design is like it has to be fast. It has to be simple and easy and work fast because otherwise the farmers won't do it. And I don't blame them. It. it has right. to be quick and simple. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, inside there is this receiver that uh, helps you release the drop pan. Because what's happening is the, the red pan is held in place by permanent electromagnets inside the carrier. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means they are always magnetic. So the pan is always held in there in place and it's nested inside. So that means now as it's sitting underneath the machine, the, the silver piece acts as a cover where the red pan sits underneath the cover. So as the combine is going now and all the grain and debris is floating around, there's no grain or debris trickling into your drop pen so that you don't mess up your sample because you want to have it riding underneath your machine and you want to drop the red pen. And then when you drop it, the combine keeps going and then you collect the sample. You don't want to collect kernels prior. So you put it on the machine, you start combining, you, you go and you drop it, combine keeps going and whatever's flying out the back lands up in the pan, and you take a physical sample from what's coming on the back. Wow. Um, And while you do that, you calibrate your loss monitor. So while you drop the pan, you set the sensitivity of your loss sensor a certain range that, let's just say, it's a third way up or it's in the high green or uh, some other combines, you have to push a calibration button. You do this at the same time, and then you push that button, set the sensitivity, you release the drop pan, combine keeps going. And let's just say, in theory, you found one bushel of loss in the pan now. So now you know that when your loss sensor display in the cab is in the high green or a third way up, that means you're chucking one bushel out the back. Wow. So you just referenced, benchmarked what that ca- what that harvest loss sensor display in the cab is actually showing you. Where, where if it goes up now, it's more than a bushel. If it goes down, it's less. Where before, if you don't do that, you sit in the cab and the loss that goes up and down. But we have no idea if it goes from 1% loss to five or if it goes from five to eight. We have no idea. Right, it's like yeah. taking a measure tape with no lines and no numbers on it and guessing how, like, and guessing measurements and start carpentry where we put with the Plus system, we calibrate it so that we can put the lines and the numbers on the measure tape or on the loss sensor display. Oh, that's a great way to explain it. That's what we do with the machine. So the machine will still harvest without us, but you don't know how efficient the machine is harvesting. And you don't know if you can trust the loss sensor because we have to calibrate that loss sensor. And that loss sensor is the same in the machine that you bought 10 years ago or in the newest self-setting combines you have right now. Same loss sensor. So when somebody says there's a self-setting combine, they do it all themselves. That's correct. But first, they have to calibrate the loss sensor with our system to make these self-setting automation systems work because the automation system, the computer, does nothing else than we do. It looks at the loss sensor display, if it goes up or down. But if this up and down is not benchmarked, it might slow the combine down unnecessary or speeds it up unnecessary so mm-hmm. you know it's those the smarter the combine is the more that actually needs our system which is the way we have there's a lot of education around this so it's not just pushing a button and go
0: right yeah um, and, and what are your dealers and OEMs saying about it what, what's the feedback you're getting
1: yeah so the feedback is is very interesting and, and positive because there's multiple things people are doing now. So for, when they get it first, and I'm talking about the farmer and dealer now, um, they're getting it the first year they kind of figure out how to reduce the harvest loss, how to change some settings, maybe change some combine speed. Um, but then the whole system and the app is really built out to learn more about your machine so you get to know the machine better. So now a few years later, people come back and say, you know what? Now we're actually driving fast. We are... Changing machinery settings, push the combine harder, and then see what's coming out the back. Calibrate the loss sensor, and now all of a sudden, we have a higher speed. Obviously, it depends on the conditions and your machine. So, um, But now, as you drive faster, you have a tool to measure if it's okay to drive fast. Where in the past, and I think everybody has heard that, people would say, don't drive so fast. You're spitting grain out the back. You can't do that. Um Where in reality, well, we are able to drive faster, but we have to adjust the settings for it. If you keep the same settings and drive faster, your losses will just go up like crazy because you're putting more crop through the machine. The settings, they are in there to put less crop through. So now we can drive faster, adjust the settings and learn about it and then uh, drop the pen and make sure that what we're doing is the right thing to do. So they can benchmark and double-check themselves. But now you have customers saying, like I said, we're harvesting more acres per hour, so we're faster, which is exactly the opposite from other people that think, oh, I don't have the time to do this. Like, Marcel, I don't like dropping a pan. And then, you know, like, we don't do that. We just go. We don't check. It's like, well, actually, when you start doing it and you learn it, it becomes mm-hmm. faster every time you do it. And a couple of years down the road, you would be harvesting more acres per hour. Why wouldn't you?
0: Yeah. And find the perfect balance, right? That time is money too.
1: Time is money. And the app goes, breaks it down all the way to bushel per acre loss, but then dollar per hour and dollar per acre loss, wow. which that you can turn into gain because if you change that, because you want to keep that grain. You, that's that's your gain basically that's your win um so you know there's there's a lot of great feedback around that where one of the best things is probably when farmers come back and say yeah we don't harvest without this anymore like this is our tool to go to because one of the examples i always say is everybody calibrates say air seeder or their planter in the springtime you don't switch from canola to wheat and you don't you do like you do recalibrate the air seeder the metering system and everything. And you do that by letting it run through a calibration and you have a bucket and a scale to make sure the calibration is right and the sensors are right. So we are the bucket and the scale for the combine. Because if we do it at seeding, why wouldn't we do precision? We call it no precision. You know, precision harvest is what we're doing because everything is about precision seeding, precision spraying, precision here, precision there. But we're doing precision harvest where we harvest the grain you worked so hard for. So let's get it in the bin. But let's not slow you down either to do it. So it's it's the balance, the perfect balance. And especially if you look at dollars per hour, Mm -hmm. holy moly, that's an eye opener. I guess you know that because you can change, you can change things. You know what the machine costs per hour. You can really start playing with those numbers and become really efficient. And dollars per hour is something they use in Western Australia now a lot. There's a group that. Loves to talk about grain loss in terms of not percentage per, per acre or percentage yield, but dollars per hour. Wow. What can I afford to put out per hour? Um, and then OEMs. Back to your question. Um, very honored that you know we're working with every different color out there right now. Really, they have our systems for their demos for some of their marketing teams um, and um, the R and D engineering department. Really intriguing. I'm connected now to, to a few of them from different colors. And they, you know, they say that, yes, we using this system, we we love it. Was the quote unquote last week? The engineer told wow. me, we love this. Like we have over a dozen systems in our engineering department, and we use it to set up our new RD combines because we have to calibrate the loss and we want to make the automation work properly in our combines with the automation. Doesn't matter what color. Need to have the, the sensors calibrated. So, you know, just to chuck out a couple examples, when um, you know, when ACO brought the new ideal combine over to North America, FENT, they they bought a bushel plus system for every single combine to go on a demo tour to calibrate loss sensors and to show what the machine can do. Um I just spent um, a couple of days with Case Corporate in, in Texas a few weeks ago for the harvest kickoff. So we did a bunch of product specialist training um like back and forth, you know, lots of great discussions where I learned a lot and um and and I walked them through the new updates from our systems because I had systems already a few years ago, but now we have new updates in it. Cool things like you can drop the pen not just with a remote, now we can drop it from our phone app, you know, and it the app will tell you if the pen dropped and in the future where it is in the field roughly like we just had good discussions about it and uh, then they were saying too like yeah this is this is what bridges the gap to calibrate the sensors make the automation work um and then when john Deere rolled out the x9 um our product was actually one of the x9 videos and i could really and because they were setting the machine and you can see them working with our system in the field and uh it, it, it was right there our air separator, and I was like, "That's that's cool. Thank you." Um, oh, so that's we have amazing. to, you know. So it, it's kind of it's nice to see that these they work with us because I think the last few years the, the 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 world I think has changed where a lot of people see now and OEMs as well see the value in startup companies like us, where you know, hey, how why don't we work with the startup company? And integrate it or work with them more, and in you instead of doing it ourselves, or so instead of, re- yeah, that
0: do it totally time. makes sense, right?
1: You know, you see so many, yeah, you see so many startup companies out there that work together now with OEMs because they are have the expertise in something that the OEM likes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think that's really awesome that our world can work like this where we work together and you know, um, and and figure these these, these things out. So, so that's kind of the. That's kind of an all-around feedback, um, and we're always in. We're always looking at how to better ourselves. So, you know, if somebody has an idea or says, you know, myself, that that the, my my machine is a bit different, or my stubble is like this, and and currently your system is is different here. Well, we can let's let's look at it. Let's figure out how we can do it. So, we're always doing something new, and if we do something new, we're trying to make it backwards compatible. So when I mean, we came out with new batteries and new receivers, everything is backwards compatible for the last couple of years when somebody bought some. So they don't feel like left behind or left out.
0: Oh, that's good. Wow. That's good. And who's the, the ideal farmer for your products? Is it is it just the big farmers or can a, can a small farmer use it as well? It's, is it pretty much universal?
1: Short answer, everybody who has a combine. Yeah. Okay. And it doesn't matter how, big or small the combine is, yeah. needs to be calibrated, should be set. Doesn't matter the crop. any. We have any crop out there from, you know, sorghum, rice, wheat, canola, you know, lots of corn and soybean growers, seed growers for sure. Every seed grow because that is the big return on investment. Um, but the return on investment, you know, for a farmer, even if you have, we have farmers that have 200 acres in Ontario mm-hmm. and they love it. They yeah. absolutely love it. And when you run the numbers in a normal crop year, it takes you about 120 maximum 150 acres to pay for itself if you save one or two portion an acre roughly in an average. And in a year like this, where crop prices are through the roof, mm-hmm. you want to make sure you catch every single current.
0: Definitely. You know? Yeah. And and producers are always aiming for that that more efficient ways to manage it. And especially now the input costs and shortages that that they've had to deal with for the last two years, you know, it's, it's stressful to say the least. Right. And, and it seems like your whole theme is reduce this waste, right. Make that profit margin bigger. And that feels like what you're devoted to. Right.
1: Yeah. I guess I get going a bit on my passion. Here, yeah. <laughs> Once yeah. I get into yeah. It. I love it. it it's, it, it's really about, you know, putting more grain in the bin for the farmer and then a bigger, larger scale, you know, when when you put on a larger scale, there's more grain to truck, there's more grain to sell, there's more grain to export, there's more food in the food supply chain. You know, you can go down that track. You know, we if you start running the numbers, it's it, it's incredible um, you know, how much more grain is out there. So
0: Yeah, really. It's and a
1: bigger picture than than just it's not just a tool, there's a bigger picture to this whole thing.
0: Yeah. 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 And with everything that's going on, especially right now, what are some of the opportunities that you think growers should be really embracing in 2022?
1: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenging year. I'm not taking that away from, from anybody hundred percent And you know, I have the biggest respect for everybody out there doing what they're doing, running their own business and, and running their own farm. It's a, uh, it's an interesting year. And I I keep saying, it never gets boring and there's always next year kind of as a kind of as a joke, but it's, you know, it's, I can, if you speak for Manitoba, it's been a tough spring, you know, with, with, with seeding and uh, pretty wet around here, but it, it all comes back to there is a, there is a crop growing and with us, the opportunity is it if it's a little crop or a large crop, you still gotta figure out your combine, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: when you ask me for the biggest opportunity, I'll give you a quote from the customer from last week at a trade show. He he said, he said, the easiest thousand dollars per hour you can make is setting up your combine properly. Wow, that's and I said to him like, are you? Do you want to work trade shows with us? Like, do you want to hang around here
0: a bit at the booth? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he I like, heard that know, guy. <laughs>
1: He was He was just a great fella who had it who had it in his mind, you know he thought about it properly, and I think you know there's lots of opportunities out there obviously um but if you ask me specifically for bushel plus it's, it's you know spend the few minutes that it takes to set that thing up. come to the combine clinics that we have. we have some combine clinics here uh in Manitoba coming up with with the canola growers. Uh, we have combine clinics with our dealers all over Canada. Uh, there's lots of knowledge that we share around that. Make sure your machine is set up properly pre-harvest prep. There's lots of things you can do, simple things that will make a big difference at harvest that you don't have to stop for. You do that prior and then get in touch with us, get figured out how you can use a system in a few minutes. And then let's get the ball rolling for you to feel confident that you can get that crop into the bin and you can trust your machine, what it's doing because it, It's not about, it doesn't need to be the driver's fault or anything that's going wrong. It's not about blame here. It's about helping setting up the machine better because it could be something broken inside the machine that it's hard to see. But when you drop a pen, you actually know where it's coming from and what what the problem is. So slow down a little bit and figure out those things before you get into the heat of harvest. Because when you get into the heat of harvest, you're ready to rock and roll and you can use our stuff within a couple of minutes and you're ready to roll.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And then thinking more globally, how important is it to address the need for more efficient food production for the needs of the world population? Is this not just farm per farm, but I feel like this is more, you know, it can affect the world, right?
1: Yeah, you know, I I certainly don't want to make myself bigger as I am here. That That's not, again, that's not what all this is about. But again, if you if you start thinking this globally and saving mm-hmm. numbers, like we were in a startup accelerator program um, in the CTA. So that is the Canadian trade accelerator program uh, for the, with the trade commissioners in the U S and we ran the numbers for it. If we only save a couple of percentages of harvest loss across the entire U S for every farm out there, mm-hmm. we will put over two billion dollars worth of grain back into the food supply chain
0: that's huge
1: and wow. that is huge for people to process yeah. it people to export it but mm-hmm. then also to eat it mm-hmm. and if you look at the food shortages right now or you know what or i would say like the supply issues i should say before i say shortages don't want to mm-hmm. uh, put the scary words out there but i should say the supply issues around yeah. the world this is something to address and you know this when i when i talk to people outside of the farming industry you know they come to me and they say you should talk to like the minister here and this person and this person yeah. and this person and it's like well yeah but they gotta they gotta be interested in it because for, for a lot of people it's like oh yeah food right food's just coming it's in the grocery store yeah. don't worry it's, about it but
0: it sits on the shelf <laughs>
1: yeah yeah and yeah, and and that then that goes back to where we started this podcast, where you know talking about the older generations, where you know when my great grandma ate an apple, there was nothing left but like this little wooden stick,
0: mm-hmm. like
1: the whole thing was gone because she has seen times where you had no food, you had nothing. Yeah, so yes, we're we're pretty fortunate right now. What what my generation, you know, at, at least mm-hmm. you know, I'm in my early thirties, so. Pretty fortunate where I grew up, at least. You know, there's there's other countries, obviously, but um, if you speak for Canada and, and the middle of Europe, um, we hope we don't see those times again, but we can prepare ourselves a lot better if we look at the right kind of things. And it starts, it starts in the field, right. but then also it needs people to support that. Um, and if you support it properly, um, and also innovate. You know, if you help companies like us, and I shouldn't say you, but there is like you as in the industry, and you as in the government. You know, there's government grants available sometimes for R and D stuff or for hiring people or throughout. You know, but then sometimes those grants are just tough to apply for because you don't have the time to sit down and go through this right. cumbersome process or the complicated language. And young entrepreneurs just go and do it, and I think that's the backbone of backbone of uh, the country is agriculture and people that just go out there and do things and invent things and and work you know work their ass off and and get things done and take the risk.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so it's a global thing for sure
0: yeah, for sure. and um, on a more personal note, while you were in Australia in two thousand eighteen, you had a terrible car crash. Uh, tell us about that ordeal and some of the people that saw you through that.
1: Yeah, that is, um, that is an experience I don't wish anybody ever, not even yeah. 5% of that. Um, you know, the, the good thing out of this whole thing is that everybody from the car crash survived, which is great, um, doing good. And the thing about it is, you know, that's what I was trying to say with, with the people prior, where I said in Russia, I was all so interested in the people. And then mm-hmm. it, in Australia, it kind of all came together where, you know the culture of the ag industry is just incredibly uh, great and warm and, 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 and helpful because, you know, I ended up in intensive care in Perth in Western Australia. And, um, I, my family is in Germany. I didn't know many people in Australia because I just got there. I just got there a week prior. Wow. Um, then, then that happened, ended up in intensive care with, uh, with a lot of bad injuries, lots of fractures throughout my entire body. Um, the doctors were saying that I was a, like a hair, like a millimeter away from being paralyzed or being in a, in a wooden box. So it's, it's it's as close as you want to get to it ever. Um, so knock on wood, it, that, that worked out. Um, but what was going on is the, the network of people that knew I was around and that was connected in Australia, um they got together quickly in whatsapp groups and organized hey this happened to does this, this happen this is what's going on um and then a couple of days prior before the accident I spent uh, an afternoon and uh, with an agronomist in the field and also I never met before like mm-hmm. I only by a phone call um and I, we, we actually made a podcast together once too so that's so that was it podcast and 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 uh call. But then he invited me to have supper with his family, uh, introduced me to his wife and his 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 two kids, and it was just amazing. And I and I have to tell this story. Sorry, I have to get into this one because it's like mm. you know, they they were just sitting there and we're talking what we're doing, and then and then they live on the beach, like not far away. And he said, just stay here, you know, just so sleep a night. here. will have, we have supper together, you can go on your travels the next day. And then in the morning, he, they just made me hop into the ocean for five minutes with him quickly, telling me there's no sharks. But then apparently there's sharks everywhere. So they just... Oh, wow. It. Yeah. <laughs> so just in a side note, but the cool thing was that the, uh, the daughters, they were like, Dad, we want to be entrepreneurs. We want to be like myself. Like, we want to invent stuff. We just want to build <laughs> things. And, That's you cool. know, you just it was just funny how that worked out. And, you know, one of them actually went into an, an inventor showcase in the school and she went on to win it, to win it in the school. And she went all the way up to, wow. um, to the, to the province one. And I, I, I believe even to the national ones, like she just put this whole plan together, invented this machine that was doing these cool things with, with, uh, with, um, getting carbon out of the ocean and, and creating lime. Cause so that was an agronomist. So all these little things are just fun stories now that, That came together. But what this family did, that's what I was getting to, is that was prior before my accident. Mm -hmm. When I was in intensive care, this agronomist and his wife flew down to Perth, um, which I think by car is about a four or five hour car drive, roughly. I don't want to say the wrong thing, roughly. So they flew down and they sat with me beside my bed for three days and three nights. Wow. And all I had with them was that one evening I spent with them and told stories and just, you know, kind of got to know them. And they gave me some family time while I was in Australia. So they helped with communication to back to Canada, back to my family. My sister came down there three days later. My sister is a vet in Germany. So unfortunately, she was able to leave. And then they kind of tagged off and... You know the agronomist and his wife. They 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 went back home, but you know they helped me with everything, with the paperwork. And wow. at that point, they didn't know if I would even make it in the beginning. So it was a pretty rough time for them I to guess. to look after this random dude in the hospital and trying to reach my parents because that. There was a massive phone chain all around the world trying to reach my parents, and because there was so many different countries involved, where I know people. And do you have the number? Do you have the number? Oh, I, oh, wow. I call this person. I call this one. And it just you can write a book about just about those two days. Um, and then the other story about it is I got connected to a very interesting, um, well, interesting wrong word, very great and just awesome, awesome, awesome family. Um, and this again agriculture connection, mm-hmm. I'm in Australia, there's um, you know lee working um is his name he works as he was working as a parts in the parts department at uh, at a dealership at a time and uh, in manitoba okay in manitoba so i'm in australia he's in manitoba Mm -hmm. he sends us a facebook or twitter message hey i see Marcellus down in western australia i used to work down there um like a, a decade ago and there's this great family you should go see they're probably interested in bushel plus so I, I can connect you guys. So connected me. I talked to I talked to uh, the lady of the farm, um, and then she she said, "Just come by. You're you're kind of on your travels. By anyways, just stop in. We'll show you the farm. You're more than welcome to." And she was just this amazing amazing lady that just super nice on the phone already. A couple of days later, the accident happened, and nev- they never heard from me again. So I was in intensive care, um, but then the guy in Manitoba hears it that I had an accident calls and her name is Melanie. He calls Melanie in Australia, says, Hey, Marcel had this accident. Have you heard about this? She goes, wow, not really, but let, let me figure this out. So she called every hospital in Western Australia till she found me and, um, she found me in intensive care in Perth. And then they are at this point, they were custom harvest harvesters, so they were going through Western Australia to different areas. So they were about seven hours away from Perth. So she and her sister in law drove all the way to Perth seven hours wow. and she shows up in intensive care with a little bag of toiletries. Walks into my room, and at this point, my sister was there already. She walks in and she goes, Hi, Melanie, how can I help you? And you know, I'm I'm high on morphine and painkillers, right? Like I'm it's like only four or five days after the accident. So I'm still halfway out. And my sister goes like, Who is that? It's like, I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) But I've never, I never seen her before. Yeah. And and then she goes, No, I'm Melanie here. We talked a couple of days ago. I remember here contact from Manitoba called you. And it's like, oh yeah, right. And then it was just a big like we all just started crying. And you know, they were praying at my bed. And it was just. You know, and then thankfully they had a house for the winter time in Perth. After harvest is done for them, they, they they stay in the city at the time, and and then she stayed there for a full week. So she helped. She came back every day to the hospital. She was trying, like she was helping me, like she was feeding me because the nurses didn't have time. She was helping me with paperwork, helping to do the communication for back home. In the meantime, there was. Uh, like who's now our dealer down there they came in and brought me australian cell phone uh farmers came in because they were they were running in two two and a half three hours away came in just to visit all these things were just how can i help you what's going on my sister ended up staying yeah my sister ended up staying down there for three weeks um one of my now customers from bushel plus called and said hey we have a house in perth you, you can stay at the house. You're not staying in the hotel for three weeks. That You don't, You can stay in our house. And if you need something, let us know. And, you know, all the like, just the hosp- hospitality, is that the way to call yeah. it? I mean, I'm still learning English every day. But, you know, just the kindness of a heart for somebody that they didn't know. Like, they didn't know me from a hole in the ground. I spent mm-hmm. half an hour with some of those farmers in the field. I never met Melanie before. And they're like, no, this guy needs help. Amazing. This is the way we pay it forward. If my kids ever travel and need something, I hope somebody helps them as well out in the world. And, you know, I can go on for another hour here. You know, my sister broke her arm while she was in Australia trying to help me. She actually <laughs> fell off a like. They gave her, um, she unfortunately, uh, the bike that she had given to, to go back from the beginning, like in the first few days from the place she was staying to the hospital. The spokes came loose and then the spokes like hit into the frame and she went right over it and broke oh her left God. arm. Wow. So I had my left arm broken. So we have one or two pictures where we were like normal and all the other pictures, we have the left arm in a sling. All <laughs> of them. So, you wow. know, and just stories like that. So the same doctor operated, that like, gave us surgery, the same doctor. And he's, you know, like <laughs> the whole hospital knew us down there. and. Um, you know, I'm probably forgetting a few things here right now, just because it was such a big event and, but a lot of, it was very crappy, not good because, you know, it took a long time to recover. I sat in a wheelchair for a while. I had to learn how to walk again. Wow. I had about 12 fractures in my, in my spine all the way down. My shoulder was broken from two places, almost went right out. Ribs broken, had an open fracture on my left pelvis internal bleedings left forearm broken all these kind like it was just one of those things where it was just close enough yeah and the doctor said if you know the only reason why i survived is because none of those fractures shifted if anything would have been shifted and pinched me a little bit i would have been um i would have been uh paralyzed and it goes all the way from you know, the first responders, they're, they're farmers in the middle of nowhere. And they are, most of them down there are trained uh, for, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, firefighters, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, because they have to fight the bushfires down there themselves. So volunteer firefighters, so they know first aid. So they knew they shouldn't pull me off an accident like this. So they took really good care of everybody there. And, mm-hmm. you know, no, somebody would could have just pulled me and, paralyzed me right there and all these little things where people were just watching out and doing the right things and helping out. And, you know, it's just been an incredible journey where a lot of these people now became family, not just friends. A lot of them became family. Um, that I, I don't know where I would be without all of that report, uh, without all that support from the egg community, from my mm-hmm. friends. There was three friends that flew from Canada to Australia to help me out. Um, after my sister had to go home again and you know it's just been yeah I don't know where I would be without my friends and my team my employees a couple of employees at a time there um, and uh, then one of the employees there became my business partner for for a few years in busher Plus you know they did an incredible job picking up the business and treating it like it was their own kept it alive you know I was doing what I could but I was in a hospital bed with a phone so wow. They did a they did a massive thing because Bushel Plus was already established. I was I was already um, self employed, and that just gets scary. And you know, back to the beginning, it's like I'm just glad that you know everybody is um, is good again after the accident. Everybody survived, and that that's just been an experience where a lot of it was like just scary, yeah. but also very many good things came out of it and, and good connections because people. As people have come to me since and said, you know, it changed the way we look at life and right. we change things in our life because we see how quick it can be over. and, over and, over and over. That's so powerful.
0: Wow. So where can people find you?
1: Uh, they can find us online, bushelplus.com. But the easiest is really our social media, at Bushel Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, now also on TikTok. Since a couple of days, so wow. see us, see us hanging out on TikToks at Bushel Plus. Also LinkedIn, Marcel Kringer. I'm always happy to connect.
0: And how many countries are you selling into now?
1: Twenty-eight.
0: Wow. Yeah, so you you're 20. from all from Manitoba. That's that's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, locally made in Brandon, yeah. Manitoba. Uh, we try to support as much local and Canadian here as, as we can. We got another, some other parts cut in Saskatchewan. Um, mm-hmm. other parts coming out of, out of Western Canada as well. And yeah, that's all coming out of good old Brandon
0: yeah. where I just
1: settled by accident. So
0: amazing. And you have other products um, coming out on the market now too. what are those? I yeah. think you had a release this week, this week or last week.
1: Yeah. So we, we, um, we just released it a couple of days ago. So we have, um, we have the, North American distribution rights for the mini combine, which um so I will I can't take the credit to design this thing. Uh was a great inventor from 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 Europe. Uh, but we got the distribution rights for North America because because we thought that this is another thing to we should bring here and help farmers save fuel and time. And it's a handheld mini combine, battery operated. So you can put this in your truck, drive through all your fields. Or two-year fields, I should say, and take a quick sample of grain. So you just strip the heads up off on the top with it. There's a little thrasher and concave in there. And within a couple of minutes, you have a grain sample. Looks just like in the combine. And you put this in the in the moisture meter that you know most people have, anyways. Um, and then you know if the grain is ready to harvest. Wow. And you can you can do in half an hour, you can probably check a couple of fields and drive back with your pickup and do whatever else you got to do so you don't have to take your big combine down the road put the header on cut something open and if it's not ready then you have to deal with the grain in the grain tank you have to drive home again you have to dump it somewhere like the whole nine yards so we just figured this is a handy tool to add to our line of um of products that uh we will start um uh, we started selling now um so it's kind of a handy tool Tool to have again. It's all about saving somebody and the industry and the farmer money and um, and uh, time. So that's one of the things. And then we have a couple other things in the R and D that I uh, you know we're always working on some R and D stuff. Um, if we if we meet again in the future, hopefully we can talk about that a bit more. Uh, yeah. But I can all I can definitely say there's some interesting and exciting things happening in Bushel Plus. And uh, we're always trying to innovate, reinvent ourselves towards like just things that, that make sense and help farmers. Our app is the best example. The app in the beginning was like a, like a little Excel spreadsheet as a calculator and that grew into a platform where you can share your combine settings with others now via text, email, or WhatsApp. You know it gives you some guidelines of what you could do with your machine and it saves your combine settings. Your loss results in it. And so you can have this all in there with notes. So next week or next year, when you go back into similar conditions, you know how you did it. You know, you have a starting point and it comes back to knowing your machine better and being faster with it. So it's where somebody's always thinking in our team.
0: Yeah. It sounds like always busy. That's amazing. Thanks so much for joining me today. And thanks to everyone who's watching or listening. If you want to learn more, the links are provided in the show notes, and don't forget to subscribe to our North American Egg Spotlight on YouTube, Rumble, Telegram, or Egg Fuse channels, and the podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, Amazon, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great day.
1: Thank you so much for having me. This, is, this has been a cool experience. Thank you.
0: Thanks so much for listening to today's Egg Spotlight episode where we put the spotlight on people and companies doing great things for the agricultural industry. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or on your favorite podcasting platform and give us a five-star review. You can also follow us on YouTube and Rumble to see the video version of Ag Spotlight. Also, head on over to NorthAmericanAg.com to subscribe to our Industry Connect update newsletter. If you're interested in advertising opportunities, email us at connect at NorthAmericanAg.com. Thanks for listening. Our newest podcast by North American Egg is called What Color Is Your Tractor? The stories behind the egg brands you love and the egg brands you love to hate. Hosted by me, Chrissy Wozniak. We take a deep dive into the companies that have built modern agriculture. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. Go to whatcolorisyourtractor.com, available on Apple, Amazon, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Fastline Auctions, the ultimate destination for online farm equipment auctions. for hassle-free, cost-effective farm equipment auctions. Visit fastline.com for more information. You can join us for a tour of the Fastline Auctions platform July 13th at 6:30 p.m. To register for this webinar, go to northamericanag.com/fastline-webinar. That's northamericanag.com/fastline-webinar to register now.